0: You know, I was walking um, with Jenny this week, and as we were going for a walk, uh, we were talking about various things, and, and Sunday sort of came up, and I think I brought it up, and I said, man, uh, I didn't say man. Okay. <laughs> in terms of affection between her and I are babe, uh, but I don't know if I could say that in front of church. But, um, so I said, babe, um, I need you to pray for me. And she's like, about what? I said, Sunday service. She goes, and? I said, because we're getting into these subjects we're going to be talking about and I want to be spot on with God's word. And, and I don't want to preach my opinion. I want to preach God's truth. Um, and, and along with that, I don't know how I can do this in 30 minutes. And some of you are like, you never do it anyway <laughs> in 30 minutes, right? Um, but how can I take all that needs to be said about whether it's transgenderism or the Supreme Court ruling of same-sex marriage and all this? how do I put that into 30 minutes with what God has to say and how we respond to all that? And she goes, why are you trying to do it in one Sunday? Men, um, sometimes our wives speak truth and we just don't listen, right? Uh, and so I sort of like leaned into that one. was like, yeah, well, I don't know because that's the way we do it, right? You no. Know? So even though I may have told you that, hey, next Sunday we're going to talk about this, it may be the next three, four Sundays we're going to talk about this because we need to take our time going through this because you know she's saying she goes i don't want you just to sort of shotgun it out there and just like explode all the what you need to say in one sitting because i want to be able to soak this in with what god is, word has to say about these things and and to make sure i understand it And i thought that's good wisdom so you know i prayed about it more and that's that's where i'm headed with this is i'm going to take my time going through this and we'll end when we need to end and we're going to continue week to week so um it's not all going to be said today so I welcome the conversations that will take place in the emails that may come that say, hey, you didn't talk about, it's probably because it's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but I welcome that still. Um, and, and the conversations you want to have or the thoughts, the prayers. Um got a wonderful text uh, from Jane just saying, hey, Rex, I'm praying for you You preach through this. I appreciated that. And so uh, what a blessing to have the church praying. And, and not just for this, but for each other. You know, Sherry Dominic's mother passed away this week, and uh, they went down to Florida to, to be there during this time, and we need to pray for the Dominic family. Um, we have family members, we see things going on all the time. You know, you're not just praying for a Sunday service, but you're praying for each other, you're praying for the week, you're praying for great things to take place in the body of God, amen? amen. Grab your Bibles, and um, as if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we're gonna get you one, okay? Julian's back there, and he'll bring one to you. And, um, it's, I'm going to reference some scripture, but what I want you to turn to is Genesis chapter one, uh, is where you're going to turn to. It's really easy. Um, it's the first book. So just open up, get past, uh, maps or references and you're right there in Genesis one. And we're going to see what the Bible, God's holy spoken word says about today's life concerning issues, topics that are pressing on our hearts, causing us to maver maybe waver or question or boil with emotions like what is going on in this world? Why don't we what's God's word have to say about this? you remember last week, I said in second or sorry, two weeks ago, Second Timothy 4, chapter 2, um, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and he said, Hey Timothy, and I'm going to sort of reference this, take a stand firm and resolve to stay at your post, regardless of whether times are good or bad. That's your post. That's your place of responsibility. So dig in, take a firm stand, and resolve that you're going to be faithful. That's where we started two weeks ago. And uh, this was just the word Timothy needed to encourage him to stand tall, to be brave, to remain faithful to his assignment. He was a young pastor. Timothy needed to hear that in the midst of all the false teaching that was going on. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of false teaching going on. There's a lot of persuasive talk going on. and That's what we need to hear, too. Just as Paul was writing to Timothy, Paul writes to us in saying this as well. Truth comes from God's Word first. Amen? So we can't allow blogs and face posts, writings and fancy sayings from either celebrities or so-called politicians or false prophets or cute pastors dirty the waters for what is true. So we need to study God's Word and stand firm on it. We need to take up God's Word and arm ourselves with it. We need to know it. We need to stand firm on it, and we need to refuse to fall into false teachings of it. Now a few weeks ago I gave you a picture of a basketball player dribbling the ball down the court and once he picks up his dribble he can no longer move. He can keep one foot planted but with the other foot he can pivot. We use the illustration of different high schoolers up here and I took the basketball. The basketball represented God's love and truth and grace and when I picked up my dribble and stopped I have to keep one foot planted on God's word but I'm able to pivot the people who I know and don't know and give them God's love give them truth and give them grace but I don't Pick up my foot and walk off of God's word because in basketball, if I did that, that's called traveling. i give my ball to the opposition. Now, they can score against me. I don't want the devil, who is our opposition, to score against us, so I keep one foot planted on God's word. That was the illustration I used. Hopefully you remember that. Now, again, with that in mind, today we are keeping our foot firmly planted on God's biblical truth. I, again, I'm not calling this church to get... Um, radically proactive and military-like and saying, we're going to go out and we're going to do this. I'm challenging us to know God's word, to stand firm on God's word. I'm challenging us to not bow to false teaching, but to act on love through God's teaching. I heard a story by Ken Davis on the radio, and I'm going to guess some of you heard the same story this week if you're listening to the radio. And It was a humorous story, and I want to share it with you. I, I just got a kick out of it. There was a young boy in class at school, and he's in class, and his teacher said, uh, kids, I want to know what your favorite animal is. And they were going around, and one boy raised his hand, and the teacher said, yes, what's your, what's your favorite animal? And he goes, fried chicken. Okay. The teacher didn't like that answer, OK? She's looking for a live answer, and he goes, fried chicken. And you know, this boy just loved fried chicken. And the teacher was not happy with that answer, and all the kids were laughing. She didn't think it was very funny, so she sent him to the principal's office. So he gets to the principal's office and the principal says, well, what's going on here? And he explained a story and, and the principal, he could understand this, probably just trying to keep from smiling, trying to keep from laughing, just like, okay, just don't do it again, sends him back to his class. But the boy gets home from school and he's thinking, dad's going to find out. If dad finds out that I got sent to the principal's office today, I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm going to tell dad right away what happened. Dad, I got sent to the principal's office, said, well, what happened? Well, the teacher asked, you know, and he explained a story. His dad says, probably one of those PETA people that like animals, blah, blah, blah. You know, he sort of went off on that. And he said, that's okay. I understand. I'm thankful that you told the truth. Well, the next day in school, boys in class, teacher again, this time, asked another question. This time, she goes, what's your favorite live animal? (laughs) Boy raises his hand, and goes, yes. He goes, chicken, because you can make fried chicken from it. (laughs) Okay. Guess where he ended up? Back to the principal's office. And again, the same story with the principal, same story at home with dad. Okay? Now the third day he goes into class, the teacher's got another question. Who has inspired you in life? Name a person that's inspired you in life. Little boy raises his hand. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> you want to guess where that little boy ended up? <laughs> Back to the principal's office. You know, that poor boy is, you know, is he, you have to think about this. He was so confused because he's been taught what? Tell the truth, right? Always tell the truth. Teacher asks a question. I like fried chicken. I like chicken because you can make fried chicken. And I like Colonel Sanders because he makes fried chicken. You know, he was just telling the truth. And he got in trouble for telling the truth. I'm telling you, today... <laughs> There's a lot of pastors, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of Christian organizations that are coming up and standing firm on God's word and they're telling the truth and they're getting in trouble. I'm going to tell you something. Because of your stand on God's word and you telling the truth, you will have opposition and you will get in hot water for telling the truth. But we've got to make sure as we tell the truth, we tell the truth in love. Truth begins right here in the book of Genesis. And you're thinking, okay, so, and I haven't really told you what exact topic we're talking about today, okay, because it's going to get stretched out over a few weeks, but we've got to start right here, okay? Look at the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1. Let's read the first four words together, okay? You ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God. Let's do that again. In the beginning, God. Stop right there, because you see, if we refuse to start here... Our foundation is completely messed up. God is the first subject of the Bible mentioned. In the beginning, who? God. In the very beginning, before there ever was anything that we could even remotely think of, there was who? God. That's where it all begins. It's one of the most profound statements ever written, and we may try to bring God down to our little microscope. And that we can examine him and, and subject him to the laws of matter, of cause and effect, which we can understand. We try to take God, who we cannot understand, and bring him to our little world to examine him and say, so we can understand God. But God doesn't conform to our desires, and God does not conform to our definitions. Although we try to define God, it doesn't work. He confronts us as the one who was in existence before anything we can ever imagine, Think about that. And he will be here after anything we can imagine. Think about that. Ultimately, he alone is whom we have to deal with. So in the beginning, who? God. God is self-existing. If you're taking notes, I'd say this right down. God is self-existing. That is true of nothing else. See, everything we see today depends on someone or something for its existence, for its working, for its where, how it came about. We speak of laws of cause and effect. Every effect must have an adequate cause. But God is the ultimate cause and is himself uncaused. He cannot be explained or defined as other objects are. That means he's answerable to who? No one. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. We don't like that. Why? Because we want explanations for everything. But because he is self-existing and we can't explain it, that bothers us. But truth is, he is God, self-existing. In the beginning, God. God is, here's another one, self-sufficient. He has no origins. Self-sufficiency basically means that God has no needs and therefore depends on no one. We're needy people, aren't we? God is not. Think about this. We're dependent on light, heat, air, gravity, laws of nature. You take any one of those away and we cease to exist. You take any of those away, does God cease to exist? No. Because He's self-sufficient. Think about this. God does not need worshipers. Had you not shown up today, do you think God's like, Oh, nobody worshiped me today. I guess my value and worth is nothing. No. He doesn't need man. Gentleman by the name of Arthur Pink wrote this in the book Attributes of God, said this God was under no constraint, no obligation, and no necessity to create. That he chose to do was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. For he works all things after the counsel of his own good will. God does not depend on our worship. He can still be worshiped without us doing it. And God doesn't need helpers. You know, again, God's entrusted management to us. If we read into Genesis, as a matter of fact, you're right there, Genesis chapter 1, let's forward to the end of the chapter. Look at verse 28 with me. Chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, and He told them, referring to Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, be masters over the fish of the... Birds and all the animals. He entrusted mankind to manage the earth. He's like, you know what? I've created you. Now I'm going to give you responsibility. I'm going to give you a job. You're going to manage the earth. This is your job. I'm giving it to you. He's even given those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us in here this morning who confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's given us what? A commission. To do what? To go And share his word, right? To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we read in Matthew 28, verse 19, 20, he chose us to do those things. See, God's given us things to do, but you know what? He doesn't need us to do that. He's not like a a grandfatherly figure who's sort of sitting around waiting for his grandkids and his kids to work for him. He doesn't need us. But see, in our probably self-elevated world we walk around thinking god needs me to worship him and god created me to help serve him you know what yes but he doesn't need us for that he is self-sufficient he is self-existent he does not need defenders you know we have the opportunity to stand up when god's name is taken in vain or he's defamed he has us to defend him we can stand up and we should stand up and defend the name of jesus christ But do you think God really needs anyone to stand at his defense? We're silly if we think he does. God doesn't need us to defend him. He can defend himself without us. But yet we get to do that. God is eternal. He is, has always been, and will always be. In the book of Psalm, chapter 90, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Lord, through all the generations, you've been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you're God. He is eternal. He is eternal. God stands alone. He is self-existing, self-sufficient, creator of all things. Amen? That's where we start. In the beginning, God And for us to think anything less of God allows us to be gods. Are you following me on this? We must start right here and exclaim and proclaim that God is above all things. We stand firm on that. You know, I I read a story uh, by James Boyce, and you may have heard this story too. He talked about a man who was climbing up this steep mountain. And as he was climbing up this steep mountain on his way to the summit, he began to slip. And as he slipped, he literally fell and slid all the way down. He couldn't stop himself. He was going back down this treacherous incline toward a cliff that dropped off to thousands of feet below. Nothing. And he was sure he was going to be killed. But just as he was about ready to go over the edge, he reached out and grabbed onto a branch and grabbed hold. And there he was, hanging over the edge of the cliff, hanging onto a branch. He couldn't get back up the incline. He knew it would be just a matter of time before he'd lose all strength and let go and perish. So he looked up to heaven. He was not a religious man, but now better than any time to become a religious man, right? He called out, Is there anyone out there who can help me? Not expecting an answer. A deep voice surprised him by saying, Yes, I am here. And I can help you. But first, you're going to have to let go of the branch. Pause. Is there anybody else up there who can help me? Isn't that the way we do our life? There is nobody else. There's just God. There's just God. And when we try to make ourselves God or our spouse or our friends or our family, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our coach, when we make them the God of our life, guess what? We're not going to find the help we need. It's only God, no one else. Eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient, creator of all things. Let me ask you, church, you don't need to answer this out loud, but you can. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I want you to think about Do you really believe that about God? I hope and pray you do, because I believe in God. I believe in God's holy word that explains and shares and gives us insight and truth. And here's the thing you need to know is that a lot of people look at the book of Genesis and the first thing they do is they call it fiction. If they can take the book of Genesis, separate it out from the Bible and say, well, there's some great stories in there, but they're not all true. Matter of fact, we're going to change some things up on creation. And there's so many views of creation from evolution and so forth and so forth. There's like multiple views. If I could just make that fiction, do you know what happens then? I'll tell you what happens. In the beginning, God no longer exists. And everything I just talked about doesn't even matter. And if you can get people to believe that Genesis is fiction, you take that book out then you don't need god you just be god you decide what is right what is wrong what's permissible what's not permissible that's what we get to do right and people will argue that second timothy 3 16 says what all scripture repeat after me all scripture let's say that together all scripture second timothy 3 16 All scripture is inspired by God. Inspired, that word means breathed, spoken. All scripture is spoken, breathed, inspired by God, useful to teach what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. All scripture. That includes Genesis. We know Jesus considered the accounts of Genesis Genesis historical. He quoted Old Testament Scripture, especially Genesis. In Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6, Jesus is talking to people. They've asked some questions about marriage. And Jesus says this, have you not read Scripture? Remember, these were religious leaders asking the question. And he asked the religious leaders, have you read the Bible? Haven't you read the Scriptures? So I'd say, church, church, you're Christians, right? You're Christians. You call yourself followers of Christ. So as a follower of Christ, you pick up his his words, because if I'm a follower of something, I want to know all about it. Church, have you not heard, have you not read? Jesus goes on to say this, that recorded from the beginning, God made male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with his wife and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two, but one let no man split apart what, man, what God has joined together. Jesus goes back to the beginning. He says, oh, that ain't fiction. That's true. Have you not read it? His reply assumes God to be the creator of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, as well as being the one who instituted marriage. Mark thirteen nineteen. Jesus spoke of the beginning when God created the world. He quotes it over and over. Here's the point. God is the first... that's it first thing mentioned in the Bible God God's holy word inspired useful for teaching true teaching us what is right and wrong God's holy word the Bible backed up quoted by Jesus Christ forces us to go back to the beginning Genesis chapter 1 to know what is true what is right what will guide us to acknowledge this truth puts us in a subjective position We have to bow in humbleness, admitting what? That we are not God. That we are not in any kind of position to make any kind of choice as to how life should be lived without God's direction first and foremost. Are you following me? Anybody with me on this so far? As a Christian, it starts here starts here. Some of us want to hop right into the hot topics and find a reason for argument. But listen, before I take a stand on issues of genderism, marriage, and sexual behavior, this has to be established. See, if God is who He says He is and who He really is, there's no arguments. Well, let's talk about genderism. Okay, we'll talk about genderism, but I'm going to tell you right now, if we stand on Genesis chapter 1 as truth, there's no argument. Does that sound very prideful and and uh, like, ooh, stick your chest out, Mr. Christian, and act like you know it all. I'm just standing on truth. I don't call that prideful. I call that wisdom. I will not stand on false. I will not stand on weakness. If I was to walk across a pond in the middle of the winter, I would check how thick that ice is. Wouldn't you? Oh, it's about a quarter of an inch thick. You're going to run across that? That'd be foolish, right? It will not support you. You will fall through and die. Oh, but that ice is this thick? I'm dancing on top of it. That's not pretty, by the way, but I would do something on top. Of that. Okay, I would run across and have fun, right? Why? Because it's solid. I'll not fall through it. I'll live. Our arguments today better be based on the thick, solid truth of God's Word not on personal opinion or well studies are saying i'm going with the study that was at the very beginning okay god creates as you look about this as you read in genesis uh let's read on okay in the beginning god created okay we're gonna stop there you like i was about to say dude okay but some of you are more respectful so you'd say pa- pastor dude okay um that's only five words in this is going to take forever okay well, God's eternal. We're all right. We got time, okay? Um, no, we'll zip we'll, we'll through it quicker, but i got to stop at created because that word means to make something, to produce something from nothing. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. I mean, you think about this. Who is able to take nothing and make something new out of it? Can anyone right now step up here? and take this circle of nothing right here and make something from it? You can't, can you? God can. Are you ready to mess with that? God creates new from nothing and does so in orderly fashion. If we were to read through this whole chapter now, as you watch creation, and you know, again, this is like a, a six-week study on creation if you wanna do this, okay? But you can go through and see how everything that was created in order was done so in an orderly fashion. Nothing was created in advance of something else that would wreck it. Fish were not created in front of the water. You follow what I'm saying, okay? The waters had to be created first before the things that were going to go into the water. Everything through creation, the genetics and the DNA, of everything was done in an orderly fashion, and it's amazing. A Sunday school teacher began her lesson with a question. She said this, boys and girls, what do you know about God? So, if I ask the boys and the girls right now, okay, okay, boys, girls, ready? Think about this. What do you know about God? What would be your first answer? Okay, just think this. What do you know about God? Do I have a volunteer? Let's raise their hand. Okay. What do you know about God? He's great. Good. What else? What do you know about God? Done the cross for our sins. What do you know about God? Created the world. Good. Anybody else? What do you know about God? All kinds of answers, right? Powerful. Yeah. Love it parents keep teaching your children up good job what do we know about well they asked these little boys and girls in their Sunday school class and a little boy raised his hand and he said this he's an artist he's an artist the teacher said an artist really how do you know that and the little boy said you know our father who does art in heaven Hallelujah. <laughs> sorry cute answer but true right that's why he came up with his answer. Okay, he's an artist. Some of you are like, he does art in heaven. Never mind. Okay, but truly, God is an artist, is He not? He's an artist. But you know what his greatest masterpiece was? Look at the person next to you and say, "You." Go ahead, look at him. Oh yeah. Now look at the other person next to you that you didn't look at and tell them, "You." Okay. That's the God's greatest masterpiece, came on the last day of his creation. He saved his best for last. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, let earth bring forth every kind of animal, livestock, small animals, wildlife, and so it was. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to reproduce more of its own kind. God saw that it was good. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make people in our image, to be like ourselves. They'll be masters over all life. The fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock, wild animals and small animals. So God created people in His own image and patterned them after Himself. Male and female, He created them. Man was created superior to all other creation. He did all the, the livestock and the animals, but then He created man in His own image. This is not said of other objects or animals. It's like God created a tree in his image. And God created a bird in his... No. Only with mankind is that said. Man's given dominion over fish, birds, animals, the earth itself. I want you to think about this. Man's created by God. And this means that what? Man is responsible to God for what we do in every area of our life. And particularly for how we carry our mandate over... How we rule over creation creation involved responsibility you know, the world claims well it's not my fault it's not my responsibility right we blame our genetic makeup we blame our environment from which we were raised we say well that's the way I am or that's why this is the way it is you know it's everything around me but the truth is when we look at this we see guess what no we were given responsibility when we were created we believe man's fallen we sin we make mistakes but in our fallen state we are still responsible We can choose to do great things or terrible things. It's our choice. It's our responsibility. That's the way we were created. But we are responsible for our actions towards God and towards one another. James 3, verses 9 to 10, it talks about uh, the use of our tongue. And James says this. He goes, sometimes our tongue praises the Lord and Heavenly Father. And sometimes our words curse other people, other people who are made in the image of God. So blessing and cursing come both out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Even James gets it. We have a responsibility to use what God created for his good. And then God created male and female. When you're looking through here, you'll see God created all these incredible things in the garden. And after every time he created something, he said it was good. It was good, right? You know the one time when he said it's not good? Some of you already know the answer to this. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's when he looked around and he said, ah, man's by himself. Not good. So he created a suitable helper. Eve. Woman. We'll talk more about that one next week. I'm going to spend a little more point or time on this because what I want you to know is this. Um, it's important to establish these things before we move into the next few weeks. And we need to understand that the Bible is very clear that nothing is an accident. And that sexuality or gender is the result of the creative act of god male female are good and meaningful just as all the other aspects of god's creation is good and meaningful men are not men women are not i'm sorry men are not women and women are not men who's more superior Ooh, should we talk about that one I'll tell you what James boy said, and I enjoy reading some of his stuff, but he said this, a man is absolutely superior to a woman at being a man. A woman is absolutely superior to a man at being a woman, you follow what I'm saying? But let a woman try to be a man, or a man try to be a woman, and you have monstrosity. The distinction between man and women are clear. Their roles in their life and marriage are in the Bible as well. However, suddenly the word transgenderism has appeared in our culture, and we begin to ask questions. Confusion arises, and we wonder, where do I stand on this whole issue of transgenderism? The whole thing with Bruce Jenner came out, and all of a sudden everybody's like, well, I support, or I agree, or I disagree, and I'm confused. That's why we do this. Our church shares uh, some similar beliefs At our church conference, they gave a proposed statement. I'm going to share some of that with you in a second. But I want to say something to the parents with little kids in this room right now. I want you to listen very carefully. Uh, If you have a TV in your house, okay, if your kids go to a public school or any school, if you go to any store that has magazines on the racks, I want to tell you right now, your kids have already been exposed to everything I'm talking about in the next week and this week and so forth and so on. Okay? I've heard people say, oh, I don't know if my kids should hear this. I will keep it PG-13-ish. Okay? Um, I, won't, I won't go uh, into things that's going to scare you parents, but I want you to know this. If you've got a TV, your kids go in public, anywhere, they've already have heard everything, they've already seen everything. And right now they need truth. What a better place, what a safe place to catch truth than right here. So as I talk about transgenderism for the next couple minutes, I'm going to try to keep this brief, okay? Um, I want you to know this is a safe place where we got to discuss this. God originally created two distinct and completely sexes or genders, male, female, a distinction evident in the, obviously the physiological makeup of the human race. But one of the effects of the fall of sin is that some people experience gender confusion. They perceive their gender to differ psychologically from their gender biologically. Follow me on that? We have what is now called transgenderism. In the case of transgenderism, an individual gender is biologically clear, but psychologically unclear. It's an issue, not of physio- physiology, but of self-perception. Why don't you to hear this? Where it all started. In the beginning, God, right? This is what we created, male and female. Recently, American medical community has begun providing a range of treatment options for what's technically called gender dysphoria, including hormone therapy, gender reassignment surgery, and there's a lot of LGBT advocates out there seeking to normalize transgenderism. They want to say, this is another gender that's okay with everybody, and if we can get it into our school system and help people there and educate them there, it's even better. So some of these things are being pushed, right? Nonetheless, any understanding of gender as self-defined or self-determined stands in sharp opposition to the created order of what we read in the book of Genesis. God in His wisdom made humankind male and female, that order. Each individual's participation in it is valued and affirmed, gender is an important component of our personhood, and you cannot tamper with it, and when you start tampering with it, there's harm. As soon as you say it's no longer male, female, and there's transgender, now we're going to have problems. How gender roles should be understood and appropriately expressed is going to, listen, it's going to vary from culture to culture. What's the role of a man? What's the role of a woman in this culture? Those kinds of things differ from culture to culture, right? But listen, but gender itself is rooted in creation rather than culture. The problem is, we take genderism and we make it a cultural thing now, a behavioral thing. You can't do that. If you do, we head down a road that leads to more pain. Gender embraces more than mere biology, it can't be, be determined apart from it. Now, it's indeed tragic that sin has introduced all these kind of things, right? It's tragic that individuals suffer from gender identity confusion. And that's why as christians we look forward to what we read in romans where it says we look longingly for the liberation of creation from its current bondage to corruption and we look for the redemption of our bodies we look forward to the day when jesus christ comes back and makes everything new the way it was back in genesis 1 and beyond that but for now we have bondage we have corruption we have things that don't make sense god created us male and female It's established from the very beginning. The fall of mankind has twisted our thoughts and truth. So what are we establishing this morning? Church, stay with me here. God is eternal. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He's the creator of all things new. Before we ever uh, were ever close to existence, it was God and God alone. He created us from nothing, created us with purpose, created us with specific gender, created man for woman, woman for man. That's foundational. That is beginning. And for us to believe anything else is to go directly against Genesis chapter 1. If we so choose to say that this is all good and dandy and it's okay, you are going against chapter 1. If you think it's okay that transgenderism is acceptable and should be applauded, you're going against God. It's just truth. Rex, you sound harsh. You sound like you're being judgmental. I'm being truthful with you. I'm being truthful with you. It's time we wise up. If you want to take the opinion of somebody else's blog, go for it. It's scary stuff. Because you're going down the wrong path. Take God's word, please. What we're going to discover in the next few weeks is that in the beginning, in the beautiful garden, God created marriage for man and woman. But we're going to discover that there's a fall in mankind sin. And sin rears its ugly head, destroying all, attacking that God has created for goodness. That's the thing. God created all this for goodness, and sin attacks every area. First gender, then marriage, and so forth and so on. We're going to discover this in Genesis. As Christians, we're striving to live in Christ to reflect fruitful, godly, disciplined lives. And I want you to understand this. Not everybody wants that. If you've got people that are in direct opposition to this truth, guess What? They don't want God in the first place. Until they know God and want God, these issues are probably just going to be a big debate that you might just want to stay away from. It begins with God. We're going to read in Romans 1 what happens there. So I'm going to close with this as far as how we respond to all this this morning, okay? Because I'm just, I tell you, I'm starting to scratch the the surface here. Here's the thing I want you to know. Church, be aware of truth. Be firm on your foundation of God's word. No truth. Two is this. Be cautious. Be careful that we are near a slippery slope here of how we respond in truth. We can do one of two things. We can ignore everything, put our head in the dirt and say, this isn't going on around me. Jesus, come back soon. Okay? That doesn't really work. Or we can come out here and point our fingers at people that are struggling in sin and tell them they're horrible, that they should be locked up, or they're just weird or something like that. That's the other end of the spectrum, and that's not right either. What's the greatest command in the Bible? Jesus shared with somebody. The love, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right, and then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, our greatest command is wrapped around love. So as we are in this world, and we are worshiping God, knowing His truth from the beginning, standing firm on our foundation. I've got to love others now. Oh, I do not love their behavior. I I don't love where they're at in their life. I need to pray for them. They need to hear about a redemption that is clear and loud, salvation that comes only from God and God above. So in love, I'm going to still reach out. and We'll talk more about how we respond to this. But I'm telling you, there's, there's dangerous directions to go in all this. Be aware of the truth. Be cautious. But most importantly, be the salt and the light that God called us to be in Matthew 5 we're the salt of the earth and light of the world. Guess what? Light shines best where in darkness. So as you walk out into places that seem really dark, let your light shine for Jesus. Let your light shine for Jesus. Would you stand and pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we've got to start in your scriptures from the very beginning where before all things, before anything, it was you. For us as man to declare that we can do life better by living a lifestyle that is different is a mockery to who you are as God. You're God overall, creator, just, true, mighty. You've got an incredible plan for us. It's beautiful. And then sin messed it up. So now today, God, we're surrounded by sin and we are sinful people ourselves. And God, as we talk about different subjects, the subjects we talk about are those sins that are prominent and are just thrown out in our face right now. But God, so many of us deal with sins that are quiet sins that nobody really knows about, we struggle with. God, before we learn how to stand firm on your word, we ourselves need to make sure that we are cleansed. So God, this morning I ask that you look into our hearts, before we become judgmental of other people, which we should never be, forgive us of our sins, God. Help us go back to the very beginning where it says, in the beginning, it was was you. You don't need us to worship you. You don't need us to do your work. You're self-sufficient. You're self-existent. But yet, you created us. What an incredible thing. You created us with value, purpose, so, God, we've got to learn how to live in a way that honors you. So, God, we ask, first of all, for forgiveness. For forgive us, Lord, when we tried to be the God of our own lives. Forgive us when we thought we could be God better than you. Forgive us for, for trying to be God and judging other people. God, help us draw near to you. Cleanse us, Lord. And after cleansing us, Lord, your spirit just be a work within us. May this be a great week of getting into your Word and studying, and as we're roundabout about in life, help us to be the light and the salt that this earth needs. Thank you, God, for creating us, male, female. Thank you for creating us with minds to think, hearts to love, hands to serve. Thank you, God. We love you now, and we worship you in song. Amen.